five marketing musts for 2021. And yes, I am with Arlene. We are full steam ahead, looking forward to the new year. But you can't look into 2021 without taking a good hard look at 2020 and what COVID has taught us. Because one of the things that I am hearing a lot from guests on the radio show or clients or just random people that are messaging me on Facebook asking for marketing advice is when are things gonna get back to normal? I want things to go back to normal. And I have to be the bearer of bad news and say, think that normal is gone. That normal is dead. That normal is never coming back. Parts of it might, but there is a new normal and the new normal could actually net you more money than what the old normal was potentially going to bring you anyway. So I want to start off by talking a little bit about what we have learned from COVID because aside from the health part of it, and we're not going to get into any of that there, it has changed a lot of people's perspectives. It has changed buying habits. It has changed how so many of us actually do business on a day-to-day basis that we're going to need to carry over that we're going to need to learn from. So for example, in the times of COVID consumers are cooking and eating more at home more than they ever have before. That's not so great for restaurants. Air travel has reduced 90%, yet drivable vacation destinations are seeing a rebound, which I'm sure that the visitor center would say from people on Skyline Drive. Consumers are working out more at home. They're doing more DIY projects. Consumption of video and audio, including podcasts, have increased. That's going to be a long-term shift, I think, towards a lot of people cutting the cords. They're taking a hard look at Comcast and should they and do they need to be paying the kind of money that they're paying to Comcast when they can get quality entertainment from places like Hulu and YouTube and Disney Plus and all these other places. So a lot of people that have been spending their advertising dollars on cable TV might want to rethink where those dollars are going to go in 2021 as more people leave the cable end and start migrating into some of the other uh, online and streaming mechanisms. Contactless payments is another huge thing. They struggled forever to be able to get some traction, and now they're starting to to stick. Internet usage overall is up 50 to 70% since the pandemic began, and our tolerance for screen time has never been higher. The chances are that's not going to change. What we're finding is, and in all all the articles and the studies that I'm seeing is, we as human beings are very quick to get into new habits. It, it, we're, it's impossible for us to break old habits, but once we create a new habit, we tend to stick with it. And I think a lot of people have now turned to the internet in a lot more ways than they would have normally. They've learned, grandparents now have learned how to do Zoom. There are so many things that we've learned to do through the internet and we're spending so much time, more time now on a screen. That's probably not likely to go back to doing what we were doing before, it's going to have to be somehow digital. It's going to have to somehow be online. Um, in the in this last year, people have spent 20% more time in apps during the pandemic than they did the same period last year. COVID has taught many companies that you have to be online if you're going to communicate with those audiences. A lot of what we're going to talk about today involves being online in some way. 
So if your strategy has been, you know, kind of casual at best, or if you didn't have one, you're going to have to give, you're going to have to change that. You're going to need to take a hard look at what you have been doing and what you should be doing and try and find some middle ground going into the early part of 2021 in order to kind of get more bang out of your buck and get some of your customers back and add some new customers as you go. Because while some behavior may go back to normal, content consumption is probably not going to go down. So first things first, and I preach this all the time. This, this particular number one, know your customer is in every single marketing seminar that I do because it is the number one thing that all small businesses need to know. They need to understand and they need to actively research and change as they're going through their day-to-day business operations if they want to succeed and grow their market. You have got to know who your customer is. You've got to first start thinking about what is it that you want your target audience to do? Do you want them to buy your product or service? Do you want them to donate to your organization? Do you need volunteers for an event? Do you just want people to go out into the community and say, hey, I've been to the Kiln Doctor. I've been to Arlene Shop. I've been to White Picket Fence and it's got the coolest stuff. Do you just want people to be advocates for you, spreading the word and educating others? You've got to first start with what is it that you want them to do so that you can then start drilling down into who would be the people most likely to take those actions. So once you know what you want them to do, now you've got to think about who would do that. Is there a particular age group? Is it men more than women? Are you, based on your location, are you only getting local traffic? Are you a regional location? Are you national? Could, if you've got an online shopping presence, can you be national so that you can ship things to people and you could potentially have a national presence? Are your customers married? Are they single? Are they divorced? What kind of income level do they have? What kind of education level do they have? What do they do for a living? And I know it seems like, well, how in the world am I going to know all of that about all of my customers? You've got to at least pick a couple of those and get a sense of who are those people that are going to take that action. Because when you start creating your avatar, which we're going to talk about in a second, all of that information is going to come in handy. So if you know, for example, a particular age group that is the perfect customer for you isn't necessarily on one of the social media networks, which we're going to talk about in a little bit too, then it doesn't make sense for you to be on there promoting your product to a group of people who are either never going to see it or aren't interested in buying what it is you have to sell. So you really do have to think a little bit bigger picture. Think about what media do they currently use? Are you targeting people who typically get their information from magazines, newspaper, radio, TV, what we normally call traditional media? Are your customers listening to podcasts? Are they only going to Google and searching and looking for websites? Are they getting all of their information from social media? These are all important things to know about your customers so that you can properly target them and send them the messages that you want them to have. And then you've got to think about what options you provide for those people to access your product or service. Are you doing online purchases? Do you have delivery? Are you offering curbside pickup? I've talked to a lot of businesses in the last six months that have talked about how they will be so glad when this pandemic is over and they don't have to do delivery or curbside pickup anymore. 
And I've tried to explain to them, I know that you think that's going to be going back to what I was saying earlier, that it's going to go back to normal. But I'm telling you, when people get used to being able to have something delivered to them, or they get used to being able to pull up out front and have you bring it to their car, there's not going to be any going back. They're going to go somewhere else that will provide that to them if you decide after this pandemic is over that you're just not going to offer that anymore. So you've got to think about your customers and is that important to them? And if it is, then you've got to look into being able to continue offering that to them. And then you've got to think about what does your product, your service, what does it do? What problem does it solve? I mean, we hear so much in, you know, and this goes back to my days when I first started in radio a hundred and a half years ago, features versus benefits. You've got to understand the difference of your product of features versus benefits. You've got to know that features are things that are, you know, great for people to say like this is, it comes in multiple colors is a feature, but the benefit is you can fill your mug once and it will last you for two or three hours. You've got to think about how the benefits of your product will actually impact the people that are going to use your product. And one of the things that I always do with a lot of my clients, and, and I've used the example before, one of my clients over in Warrington is one of her big things was, Janet, I just, I, I don't know if any of the advertising I'm doing is working, um, advertising in this particular magazine, I'm doing the yearbooks for the kids, I'm doing stuff in the newspaper, I've done Facebook ads, and I don't know what's working. I don't know whether half of what I'm doing is actually getting me the customers that I need. So when I asked her, I said, well, who are your customers? She says, anybody with money. And while that may possibly be true, it's really not true. And what she, her shop was, she had, she had kind of a twofold. So we actually created multiple avatars for her, but she was a tech shop. Her shop over in Warrington sold saddles, bridles. It catered to the horse market. But then in the back of her shop, she had a wine store. The name of her shop was called The Galloping Grape, which was, you know, I thought, frankly, quite genius to come up with her name that way. But part of what she didn't understand was where should she be advertising to get to the people that she thought would come in and either be part of that horse crowd or part of that wine crowd. And she hadn't ever stopped to think about who that crowd actually was. So we sat down and first took a look at the customers that she knew she had. So we stopped and we said, let's just segment out the wine part for a second. And let's take a look at who do you have coming in that is buying your wine? For the most part, she was the one working in her store. So she had a basic working knowledge of who was coming in. Were they women? Were they men? Were they older? Were they younger? So we sat down and started drilling down some of these and realized that for both of these customers, she had more women than she did men that were customers. She had, she found from just having conversations with her customers that the majority of them were either stay-at-home moms whose kids were either off gone now to college or that she was, you know, their husbands worked in the city. I mean, we figured out all of these things as a general rule. You don't have to be that specific, but as a general rule, we learned that the bulk of her, of her customers were women, that they had mid to upper level incomes. They had husbands that had a great job and they stayed home. They either had kids that had gone off to college or had kids that were older because typically 
you're not into writing and all of that sort of thing unless you've got the time in addition to the money that it takes to be able to be a horse person. So we started creating all of these or answering all of these questions. And from that, we created her perfect customer. And we named her customer Kim. So that when the, you know, and we stopped and we, she would start, she, we did a few customer service surveys, I guess you could call them. Um, it wasn't something that we bombarded every customer with 15 questions every time they came in. But over the span of about a month and a half, we picked a different question every week. So when customers would come in, Kim would start off a conversation with them. Her name was Kim too. But she would start off a conversation with them and she would just talk to them about things and say, so um, do you guys read the paper? Do you guys, you know, how do you get your news? And we picked a particular question that we would ask every customer that particular week as kind of a focus group of sorts to find out, did her customers get their news online? Did her customers listen to the radio? What radio station did they listen to? Did they listen to, did they watch television? Who was their cable provider? Did they have dish or did they use cable? And, you know, just all of these different kinds of questions. And we had a little spreadsheet, like a little checkbox that we would keep behind the cash register that she could quickly scribble, check the boxes for all of the different answers that she got so that at the end of this month and a half of trial, asking all these questions, we really did have a better idea of who her customers were. So we created this avatar. So Kim had this avatar. We named her Kim. And the cool thing that it did for her is that it gave her a much better idea when it came to making decisions about not only where she was going to spend her money from an advertising perspective, but what those ads were going to say. So that the next time the kids from the high school came rolling in and said, hi, we'd like you to buy this ad in our yearbook, she could stop for a second and think, okay, is this ad in this yearbook something that Kim is going to see? And when she realized, no, it's probably not, then she would be able to say, you know what, thanks so much. I really appreciate the offer. But the other part of what she paid me to do was I was the bad guy. She would always say that I don't make those decisions. I have a marketing person. Here's her card. You can call her. And they would call me and I would tell them no. So she didn't have to always make an enemy of the kids selling the yearbook ads. I was the enemy and she wasn't so much. But it gave her a great way when the newspapers came in, when all of these people came in for her to be able to stop and think, is this going to be something that my perfect customer would see? And if the answer was no, she didn't have to spend a hundred bucks, 200 bucks or 500 bucks on the ad to find out that it really wasn't something that was going to be effective and that it really wasn't going to work for her. So it made a whole lot more sense for her to be able to do that. And then in the meanwhile, collecting that information helped her on a couple of different levels. She got a lot of feedback in those couple of weeks that we were asking those questions from people saying, you know, I really liked coming in and having this conversation with you because typically when I'm shopping, nobody cares about me. They're only asking, what do you want to buy? Can I help you find something? But it was really cool to have a conversation with you about what I do. And they didn't mind giving up the information. I mean, we all turn on, you know, our red flags when we have to fill out online surveys. Like, I don't want to give this person this information. That's too much information to give away. But when you're having it one-on-one, -on -one, it makes a whole lot more difference. The other thing that she started doing and still does to this day is she collects zip codes. 
because she also has a business that isn't always targeted just to Warrington proper because it's a horse related business. She's getting people coming from Northern Virginia, coming from all over. So we started keeping a running total a little uh, list on her next to her cash register where she would scribble down the zip codes and just do check marks. Because what that helped us do is know where she needed to be advertising in addition to what she needed to be advertising in. So maybe the local paper wasn't the place for her to do an ad, but maybe a paper in Leesburg was the place for her to do an ad because that's where her customers were coming from. So it really does, creating that avatar does give you such a better sense of who your customer is so that you can target and market to them because you can go out and boost a Facebook post and you can do some of this drilling down to target people. But if you're still not targeting the people that are actually going to buy or are interested in your product, it's still wasted money. Whether it's a $5 Facebook boost or it's a $500 Facebook boost, it's not going to do you any good if the people that you're telling about your stuff to aren't people that are ultimately going to buy it anyway. And I think that's the biggest thing that so many people, and even now in the pandemic, people have really gotten overloaded with, I am happy with anybody that walks in the door. And I understand that logic, but it's not a smart logic moving forward if you're going to start throwing money at things like advertising. So you've really got to kind of keep in mind who is your customer, what kinds of things do they do, what kinds of things does your product benefit or afford for them to be able to do. And then you want to make sure that wherever you're putting your information and all of that sort of thing out, that that's, you know, kind of what you're, what you're getting at. Um, so I mentioned some of these. So how do you learn? You ask. You can create the survey like I talked about and decide, okay, these are five questions that are really going to help me narrow down who my customers are. So this week, we're going to ask people, you know, hey, what's your favorite radio station? Or, hey, do you guys still read the paper? Do you read the, the Northern Virginia Daily? Or do you read the Winchester Star? And you just have a little box, a little piece of paper taped to your, taped to the, you know, checkout register or wherever you do your checkout. And you just check the box when people come in. And just start asking them those different questions and say, you know, do you guys, uh, you know, do you, when you need information, do you Google it? Where do you go to get information when you're looking up, looking for a product? Find out whether or not your customers are using those kinds of things themselves, or are you getting answers like, oh, well, if I need to find something and I'm not sure where it is, I asked my granddaughter to Google it for me. You know, some of that, that information is going to be really valuable for you to have because now you're kind of targeting the granddaughter more so than you are the customer if you want to get that grandmother in your door for whatever reason. Um, think in terms of, and this is one of those weird things where sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but are you your customer? So if you took a step outside of your business, if you got walked outside the door of your business and you stood in front of your business, would you be your customer? And if you would, what do you want to know? So when you're looking for a particular item or a particular service, how do you go about finding it? What are you looking for? How do you get the information that you're doing? Because if you are in that target market, if your avatar, like in Kim's case, she basically was her customer. If you are your customer, that makes the job a whole lot easier too, because now you can think about what you're doing and it's not so much talking to strangers and getting all that sort of stuff. 
I mentioned that Kim was pretty much the only person that worked in her store, but make sure this is information that you're sharing with your staff. If you have a part-time staff, if you have people that are coming in the door and talking to other people that work for you, make sure that whatever this attempt is that you're making to find out who your customers are, that they all understand it, that they know what your end goal is and ask them, hey, when you're working on Friday nights, for example, who do you have coming in? Do you have a lot of people that come in and they wander around and they don't buy anything and they leave? Are they couples? Are they young? Are they old? What do they say when you ask them if I can help you find something? Gather all of that information because all of that is helpful because that customer on a Friday night might be different from the customer on a Tuesday afternoon. And you really have to think in terms of all of these different people and then compiling them into a person that will make it a whole lot easier to be able to, to target. And the other thing, and I'm sure all of you have done this, is who else does what you do? Maybe not necessarily in Front Royal, in Winchester, in Strasburg, any of these other places. Who else has a similar product or service to you? maybe in California, maybe in Delaware, maybe in Wyoming, somewhere else. What are they doing? Go take a look at their Facebook pages. What kinds of posts are they making? You can now tell on Facebook whether or not people have run ads, what those ads look like, what was content was in those ads. All of that is under the transparency tab now. So anybody can see who's been running ads and who they're targeting and what those ads are. So go take a look at businesses that are similar to yours and see what are they doing? How are they doing it? And you'll be able to tell based on the reactions and the comments and things like that, especially on social media, whether or not it's working for them and then steal it, steal it and use the same thing. I mean, there hasn't been an original idea from anybody in thousands of years <laughs> because there have been a bunch of great ideas that people have just stolen and, and tweaked over the years to make their idea. There is no shame in the stealing game if it's going to work for you. So think about all of those things when you're thinking about your customers and just ask them. I mean, right now, more than ever, people want to know that they are being helpful and that they are appreciated. So if you have a customer that comes out of their house and comes into your store for whatever reason, and they are greeted with, we are so glad to see you. And we are so grateful that you're here. You know, business has been a little slow and we're just trying to kind of get a handle on who's who and what's what. So do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions to help my business? They're going to fall all over themselves saying, oh, well, what do you want to know? Then you can ask them all your questions. Well, do you read the paper? Which paper do you use? Do you listen to the radio? What radio station do you listen to? Are you, do you, have you ever heard of a podcast? Do you know what a podcast is? You know, do, are you on Facebook? What do you think about Twitter? How do you, how often are you on Instagram? You don't have to pepper them with questions like that, but those are all questions that you should be asking of your customers to kind of get a sense of maybe I should be more on this social media network than I am on the other. But until you know who your customer is, all of the advertising in the world, all of the marketing in the world, all of the events that you can host in the world are not going to help you until you know who those people are that you want to actually be getting that message and then taking action on that message. So that is number one, know your customer. Anybody have any questions before we move to number two? Okay. So number two, and this is one where sometimes I get the eye roll is number two is you are going to have to get a website. And if you already have one, you are going to have to update your website. 
And years and years ago, when Facebook became so popular, I used to tell clients, look, you don't necessarily need to have a Facebook because people are going to, or a website, because people are going to Facebook to get the information that they want from you. But that's not the case anymore. People are starting at Facebook, but they have learned that they're not going to get all of the information that they want from Facebook. They're going to want to go to your website where they can read more about you, where they can learn how long have you been in business, where they can get more information about what's going on. They're using social media in the now, but they want to know what the long-term things are. Maybe they want to buy something from you. So you've got to consider whether or not it's not even a matter of whether you need a website in 2021. You're going to have to have a website in 21. People just expect it. It's social proof. It proves you're credible. It proves that you're an actual business. You get to control the narrative on your website. You get to put what the information is on there. You don't have to worry about comments or reviews or any of that stuff that you have to deal with on social media networks. Your competitors already have a website. You're going to show up in Google search results if you have a website. And the most important thing is that you can showcase and sell your products and services from your website. Your website is owned by you. And I think sometimes we forget that social media pages are not owned by you. You do not own that social media page. Facebook owns that page. Facebook owns your Instagram page. Twitter owns their Twitter account. So these are all things that you're putting a lot of money and effort into. And in some ways you should be, but they are not things that are owned by you. Your website is your property that you get to control what the narrative is on there. You get to say, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is what we stand for. And nobody can argue with you on it because it's your website. So websites are one of the most important things that you're going to have to have going into 2021. And if you're already ahead of the game and you already have a website, you've got to start thinking about what kind of content is on there. So the first thing that you have to do is make sure that it's up to date, especially given COVID. Are your hours current? Is your location current? I was looking for something the other day and I did a Google search for a business and I found their website and I was looking for where they were and I saw their location and I thought, that's not where they are. I know that's not where they are because the reason I was looking for their location was because I knew they moved and I didn't know where they had moved to, but their website still had their old location on it. So imagine how many other people like me were out there looking for somebody's website and found their website and still couldn't get to where their actual business was. So you've got to make sure that it's up to date, that it has your hours, your location. Do you have a COVID-19 message? Because even though we're you know, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, you still need to have a COVID-19 message. People want to know what they're walking into, whether they're the people who won't leave their house without knowing where they're going, has a mask policy or doesn't have a mask policy, whether it's you offer curbside, whether you do delivery, that you have personal shopping hours. People want to know what they're walking into because that also then forms their opinion of you and your business. And make no mistake, the opinion that they have of you is also the opinion that they have of your business. As small business owners, and we all know this because I'm looking at a screen full of people who are their business. People know Sue and they know Sue is Sue's business. They know Arlene. They know Arlene is Arlene's business. They know Wendy. They know Wendy and John is Wendy and John's business. 
So there is no delineation for a lot of people these days when they're thinking about you and they're thinking about your business. So you've got to tell them what that delineation is. And you've got to have whatever messages you need on your website. And then ideally, you got to be able to sell your product or service from it. It used to be that was a nightmare. It used to be that you had to hire a professional web designer. And, and Kimmy can probably speak to this a lot more too, that it was very complicated to be able to get a store on your website. That is totally not the case anymore. With all of these different apps and all of these plugins, with WordPress being the most popular website design tool that they have out there now, it is so much easier to be able to download something like WooCommerce and literally just upload your products, link it to your Square account if you're using Square in your store. I have a client, that's what we do now. And they sell stuff from their website through the WooCommerce, WooCommerce plugin app that literally is coming from their Square store that people are buying when they come and check out at their place. They're using the same Square thing. So it's not as complicated as you think. And you have no idea how much you could potentially be missing out on, especially in this past year, much less going into the new year from people that probably would have bought from you if they could have done it online, driven up out front, and had you put it in the back of their car, or even better, bought it online and paid the extra $5, $8, and had it delivered to their house via USPS or UPS or FedEx or however. So that is something going into 2021, you are really going to have to think about doing is selling from your website or and being able to ship things in addition to doing any kind of personal you know, delivery, local delivery or curbside. But you've got to make sure that that website is designed and that it's maintained in a way that lets people know when they get there, wow, this is, this is a, a nice looking website. It is clear to me that this is important to them because it has updated images on it. You don't have on your front of your screen, um, say, it's Jan, say it's June and people get to your website and there's a winter scene on your website. You've really got to think about those kinds of things and go back and visit it yourself. Put a little reminder in your phone or a reminder on your calendar every 30 days to go take a look at my website because you may know you changed your hours because you have winter hours now or you have spring hours or summer hours or COVID has changed what days you're open, but you may not have thought, oh, I, I got to update that on my website. So go look at your website every 30 days, give it a once over and go, oh crap, I forgot that was even on there. Make the change, get it updated so that when people visit it, they know that you care as much about that and them having the right information as you do everything else. And it's, it's going to be your lifeline right now. People are checking in for changes on stuff. Buying online and picking up in store is growing like crazy, especially in the next week and a half. Because we're all seeing on the news that if you wanted cheap shipping, if you wanted to buy something online at, at Kohl's or Penny's or any of these big box stores and have it shipped, that $5.95 shipping for USPS is gone. Now, if you're shipping anything, you're looking at big dollars. You're looking at the express. You're looking at the priority. You're looking at all of these other things to get it delivered in time for Christmas. So if you can tell people, hey, I have it in the store. If you just want to come by, you want to buy it online and pick it up in store, that's how I'm doing most of what I have left of my shopping is if I can buy it online and send him to pick it up for me, because I'm not going anywhere, that that's the key to be able to do. 50% of people have decided where they're going to shop based on whether or not they could pick it up in store. And I have done that not even locally, but I have done that with things like Target. 
if I can't, if I can order it from Target and I can pick it up, then I'm going to pick it up versus have it shipped to me. I, why would I wait three days for it to potentially come in the mail when I can go there, park out front, push a button on my phone and they bring it out to me? The other thing from a web perspective is you've also got to think about what people are using when they're accessing your phone or when they're accessing your website on their phone. You have got to have a mobile friendly website. That is key above and beyond anything else. If you are going to move into 2021 and say, okay, I have a website. I don't sell from it yet. Maybe that's something I'll put on the list to do before the end of 2021. But your website isn't mobile friendly. You just as well not have a website at all. Because I will tell you that people, when they come to your website using their phone, if they see your entire website in that little box screen on their phone and they have to pinch it big to be able to look at it or they have to turn it sideways to zoom in or any of those things, it's not mobile friendly. Nobody takes the time to do that anymore. They're just going to go find another place that they can find the same product or the same service that is a whole lot easier to manage and do with and deal with. 70% of internet users worldwide are using their smartphones and their mobile phones more as a direct result, of course, of the of COVID-19. We're finding it from a radio station perspective. We have more people that are using their phones to listen to the radio station then are listening on their desktops that are accessing the radio station's website. They're using it more from their phones than they are using a regular desktop, even just to read news stories and things along those lines. But it's a mobile friendly site, which means when you open it, you can see the basics of what you need to see. You have the little hamburger menu that has the three little lines you click on and the menu drops down. So you've really got to think about being mobile friendly if you want anybody to use your website on a regular basis anyway. This is kind of a, a, an offshoot from having a website. You've got to use Google. As much as it, there's good and there's bad about Google, we all know, you know the tracking and that they know everything that we're doing in life, but you have got to have a Google My Business. You have to have all of your information in there. It's got to be set up. You have to have it active because that is what's going to help drive traffic even if it's to your Facebook, even if it's to back to your website, or it's to find out where you are. Google My Business is probably the single most important piece of digital advertising, digital presence that you can have second to having your own website or anything else. It doesn't cost you anything to have. It has your business name on it. It has your location. It has your hours. You can make posts and update with pictures. You can update and put that COVID-19 message that I was talking about. But it is a great way to be able to get your information into Google. Plus, it then adds into your local SEO. So if somebody is, you know, the, the stat that I found was one in two people who conduct a local search, visit a store that day, and 76% of people who search for something nearby on their smartphone visit a related business in a day, within a day. I am forever doing a Google of, you know, coffee shops near me or something that I'm looking for near me, vets. When, when we got these puppies and I was trying to figure out where are the vets that are closest to me because I don't want to be driving all over creation to take these puppies when they have to go to the vet. If you don't have that Google My Business, your stuff isn't going to come up as quickly and as easily as it will if you don't have a Google My Business account set up. And the most important thing you can do is make sure that your local listings are verified and that you keep them current on all of the different search platforms. So Google says, update your business hours and your description and your profile 
add any information, extra information in there about any precautions that you're taking, because that then updates your information in the search and in the maps. The other thing that Google suggests is setting a geographically defined service area within your local listings. This is going to help you show up in those near me searches. So I know, and I know it seems kind of counterintuitive. Well, no, I want people to know that they can find me anywhere, but let's say I am visiting the area from Skyline Drive and maybe I'm staying in Winchester or maybe I'm staying in Front Royal and I've got kids and I'm trying to figure out what the heck am I going to do with these kids? Cause now there's a foot of snow on the ground and I don't know what's going on, but I want to find some sort of activity for them to do. And I think, oh, I wonder if there's a pottery studio nearby. If I type in pottery studio near me, Arlene's going to come up if she has put in her actual location and I am within 25 to 30 miles of that location, as opposed to if she hadn't, she might still come up, but she's not going to come up ahead of the pottery studio in Winchester or one that might be in Strasburg or one that might be in Woodstock or somewhere else. So making sure that you have geographically defined where your service area is will help you more in the long run than not having it in there at all, thinking you're going to, again, shotgun approach is going to get you more people. That's not always the case because people that are closer are people that are more likely to actually walk in the door than people who aren't. So any questions about websites and Google My Business? Do all of you guys have a Google My Business set up? I say, I'm seeing Arlene shaking her head, Sue shaking her head, Wendy, <laughs> Wendy is iffy. <laughs> all right. So let's move on to the social media part of this, because this is probably one of the most misunderstood and I get more, well, that's how I've always done it kind of responses when I start talking about some of the social media stuff. So the one thing that you are going to have to be in 2021 is social media smart. You're going to have to, to pay more attention to not only what you're doing on the social media networks, but which social media networks you're using to begin with. So you need to stop and take a minute and just understand, review. Maybe you need to pivot and maybe you need to ditch some of the social media networks. I've had clients who have said, well, I'm on all of them because I didn't know which ones I should be on. So I've got a Twitter account and I've got an Instagram and I've got a Facebook. I've got a Snapchat, even though I don't even know what it is or how to use it. You know, I'm on TikTok, but I don't even know how that works either. Those social media networks aren't doing you any good if A, you don't know how to use them so you're not, or B, again, your customers aren't using them anyway. So you're not going to want to put a ton of work into using a social media network that maybe targets a younger audience that isn't the, the target audience that would come into your store or your shop anyway. So you really have to think based on your customer avatar, which social media networks are going to deliver your message to that target target audience, because every social media network has a different audience. Facebook isn't the same as Instagram. People that go to Facebook are looking for specific things and there are specific types of people who use Facebook. Some of those also use Instagram, but people on Instagram are on Instagram for a specific purpose and are looking for specific content. The people on Twitter, totally different bird from the people on Facebook and the people on Instagram. TikTok, whole nother generation of 
video. And I personally, I will tell you as a side note, I am not on TikTok. I will not use TikTok because until they get that privacy stuff settled and know who's actually looking at what I'm doing and tracking my geographical areas, I, I don't want any parts of TikTok. I'll use somebody else's TikTok to watch videos. I can see the TikTok videos on Twitter. So I don't have to actually use TikTok. TikTok's still a little scary to me. Um, but you've got to think about who are my customers? Are they more on Facebook? Are they more on Instagram? Is it a combination of the two? And make sure that you are not using the same information on both of those social networks. Now, granted, you can't share from Facebook to Instagram. So you don't really have to worry about that. But you can share from Instagram to Facebook. But the problem is people go to Facebook for something specific. People go to Instagram expecting to see photos. People go to Twitter mostly because they want to be snarky. But they Twitter is, is one of those social media networks that is supposed to be a traffic driver. So if you have a website, we were talking about websites earlier. If you have a website where you have a blog and you are doing a blog updates every other week or once a month, and maybe you're doing, hey, this is how you X, Y, Z, or here are tips and tricks for whatever. Twitter is a great social media network to drive traffic back to your website. If you don't have anywhere to send people on Twitter, for the most part, Twitter's not going to do you any good. But along those lines, if I am on Twitter and I see I'm following somebody on Twitter and I see a link to something that is their Facebook, it has the FB shortener for Facebook, I'm not clicking on it. Because if I wanted to be on Facebook, I'd be on Facebook looking at it right now. So you can't do the, the universal, I'm going to make one post and it's going to go to all of my social networks because that's what's easiest for me because that's not what your customers want to see. And then heaven forbid you have that one person who follows you on Facebook and follows you on Instagram and follows you on Twitter. And now they've seen the same thing three times and they're just beyond annoyed because they keep seeing the same thing from you over and over again. Can you all hear the dogs? The husband just came home to take the dogs out of the crate. So I wasn't sure the mic, if the mic would pick up the dogs or not. <laughs> so the thing that you have to remember, a couple tips for from a social media perspective. Remember the 80-20 rule. Nobody wants to be sold to 100% of the time. They don't want to go to your Facebook page and every single time they see a post from you pop up on Facebook, it is a sales pitch. It's, hey, we've got this for sale or, hey, come and buy this or, hey, we're, we're offering this deep, deep discount on whatever service that we offer. 80% of the time, you should be providing value. You should be funny. You should be giving them some insight into what happens behind the scenes. You can be doing before and after pictures. There are a ton of things that you should be using your Facebook for 80% of the time. And only 20% of the time should it be an actual sales pitch. Now, that's not to say that Arlene, for example, can't do a really cool photo of a bunch of mugs that she did or that she had a private party come in and they did these really cool things. And she can make that post and say, this was so much fun today. We had a group that came in and look at how great they were, how talented these people are. She's still kind of selling, but she's not saying at the end, book your party today. 
So the more inferred types of posts that you can do, that falls into that 80-20 rule. And that's going to start to build that relationship with the people that see your posts. And that's going to stick in their head more than, hey, 20% off all mugs today, or we're offering, you know, whatever discount. That goes in and out of a lot of people's heads, unless in that very moment, they are in the market right then and there for what it is that you have to sell. But if you can build that relationship with them and they can be like, wait, um, wait, I saw something on Facebook where you can you can have like five or 10 of us and we can go do this thing. Hang on, let me do a search. That's going to go a whole lot further to getting more people back in your door than if you're just always posting 20% off this, 10% off that. Because the, the truth of the matter too is 20% is not going to get people in the door anymore. I mean, you're talking about record numbers of unemployment. People that do have money are being very careful with how they spend it. And I, first and foremost, am probably the cheapest person on the planet. It drives me crazy when I do go to Target and I do my little clearance walk and I know the codes on the stickers. I ain't buying anything at Target that says it's on clearance and it's only 30% off because that is not a deal. Now we get to 50% or 70%. Now we're talking. Now we're in my wheelhouse of what is an actual deal. So think about those two. When you think you're offering a really good deal for somebody, is it really going to look like a good deal on their end? The other thing from your social media perspective is videos and images are greater than text. People don't want to read. People don't read anymore. And if they do read, they misunderstand half of what it is you're trying to say to them in the first place. So if you can use videos and you can use images, those are always going to get you more reach, no matter which social media network you're using, than just doing a regular status update that's just text. And it's sad that you have to say it in, in today's world, but you still have to say you have to be personal, not political. Customers don't necessarily care about your political beliefs. They don't necessarily care about your religious beliefs. They want to know, are you going to be nice to me? Do you have the product that I need? Are you friendly? That's what they want to know. They want to know about you, the person, not who you voted for or what political party you belong to, what church you go to. Most of your customers, at least initially, now there are some of you I know like Sue and Arlene and even uh, Wendy to a certain degree, you have customers that you've had for years. And that's different because you have become to know those people as friends and as customers. But that first person off the street, they could not care any less of about your politics, about your religion, about your favorite football team. I threw that in there for Nikki because I knew she'd appreciate it. They just want to know, are you going to have what I need? Are you going to be nice? Are you going to be friendly? Are you going to be accommodating? They want to know you, the person. That's all they're worried about. So the My football team doesn't have a name, so I can't talk about them. <laughs> hey, well, at least they're sitting at the top of their division. But anyway... <laughs> So the more you can be personal on Facebook, the better off you are. And Nikki always laughs at me when I'm doing social media only webinars. And I always say that I, I preach, ironically enough, to businesses, never put anything on your social media that is about politics, never put anything on your social media that is about religion. And then for me personally, I can't put anything on my Facebook that is football related because when my friends who want to comment that have no clue how football works, I lose my mind and I become a very ugly, nasty person. <laughs> yeah. Nikki understands that. Yes, I do. Talk to me about my football team. If you don't even know what kind of a defense your football team runs, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> 
And then the final thing, and this is, this is for the most part, really, really, really important. And we all ignore it all the time. You've got to know your limitations. You've got to understand the amount of time and the skill that is involved in successfully maintaining your social media networks. If all you can do is update your Facebook once a day or once every three days or, God forbid, once a week, then you really do need to look at allocating some budget from maybe that ad in the newspaper that your customer avatar isn't going to see anyway to hiring somebody either to work for you part-time or subbing it out to another company. You have got to spend more time making those posts on your social media networks and making sure that they are the right types of posts that you're going to make, where you're using the videos and the images, where you're talking to people, where your content is good. Because people don't like going to see something on Facebook and then realizing, what do you mean? I, they, they find you, maybe they drive by, maybe they're driving down Main Street and they see your store and they're like, oh, the first thing they're going to do is go, I wonder if they have a Facebook page. They open up their Facebook app, they type in the name of your store, they go to your page, they find it and they look and they see, well, they haven't even made a post in three weeks or they haven't made a post in three months. They're going to say, well, I wonder if they're even still open because of COVID. The other thing that you've got to keep in mind is the because of COVID thing. People are making assumptions now about small businesses that probably are totally off base, but they just assume, well, because of COVID, they are probably not open anymore. Or because of COVID, they probably don't do that. And you've got to make sure that you are updating it, that you are staying on top of it. Even more importantly, that you are responding when somebody makes a comment, even if somebody says, oh, that's pretty or, oh, that's beautiful. You've got to make that time to go back and start a conversation with that particular person. Oh, we're so glad that you like the color. You know, what, what color, you know, we're, we're making another batch or we're doing something else or we offer other colors. What color is best for you? The more that you can make a start a conversation with somebody on your social media network, the more likely it is that they are going to either buy from you or tell their friends, oh, it was really cool because all I did was make a comment about such and such. And they answered me and said, whatever. Now, suddenly your best friends, even though you don't even know who that person is. But the word of mouth, again, going back to knowing who your customers are, if you just want to use a social media network in some way for people to spread the word and be an advocate for your business, that's the way you do it. I mean, it makes it so much easier, but it takes time. It takes time that a lot of mom and pop small business owners just don't have in the day to be able to do. So what you really need to do when you're thinking about your social media, first, you have to determine why you want to use it in the first place. Are you looking for brand awareness? Do you want to build relationships and conversations? Do you want to increase sales? Maybe all of these things are what you want to be using your social media for. But if you don't put in the effort, nothing you do is going to get you there. So once you figure out why, and maybe it's different depending on the season, maybe it's different depending on the month of, you know, of the year. Maybe in January, your target is to just increase brand awareness, but maybe come April when it's spring and people are getting out more, your goal was more to increase sales. It can change, but you got to know why you're doing it so that you can then figure out how. 
So if your goal is to increase sales, that's great. But again, like I said earlier, 80-20, every post does not need to be a sales promotion. Put in other stuff, a mix of content like tutorials and tips. You can do fun content, you know, that, that keeps up the engagement. Because even though Facebook doesn't give a whole lot of standing to the different types of reactions, they still do pay attention to it. It still does show up in their overall algorithm for who, who they will ultimately show your posts to. But you need to build trust. You need to put stories out there about your brand, about your employees, about your product choices, you know, those kinds of things. And, and Arlene, I keep using you because you're, you're right at my eye level in the little screen on the side. But showing cool stuff about something that you messed up, something that came out of the kiln that did not look at all like what it was supposed to, will make you so much more personal and endearing to people. Because they're like, oh, look at her. Everything isn't perfect. Oh my God, that's totally like what something I would try to do would look like. That's the kind of conversation that when somebody says, oh my God, that would totally be me, that you can then come back and say, well, in this case, it was me and this is what I did wrong. But I promise if you know you wanted to come in, we'll work together. It's a great way to, to start a conversation and it's not selling. It gives them a chance to start building that relationship with you, which ultimately you hope will lead to increased sales, but that's not what you're trying to do right out of the gate. So once you get all of that done, then you can throw in the sales pitch. You know, you don't have to have, but if you don't have all of those other things first, where you're making these posts and people are commenting and people are reacting, it doesn't matter whether or not you throw up that 20% of the time as a sales post, because unless you throw money at it, nobody's going to see it anyway. I mean, we all know how reach has gone down the crapper in the last five years on Facebook, that if you're not paying for a boosted post, you're just not getting the reach that you normally do. So this is part of the way that you can kind of game the system somewhat to be able to start building that reach back yourself without having to spend a ton of money getting it there otherwise. And I will say kind of too, as, as a side note, a lot of people say, oh, no, you know, I can I can spend five dollars and on Facebook and it, it gets it gets me, you know, 2000 people. And that may be great, but most people don't stop at five dollars. Most people will then boost another post for five dollars and boost another post for five dollars. I had a client that I just did a social media audit for two weeks ago and they said, well, yeah, I only spend five dollars on Facebook when I boost an ad. And I said, well, how often are you boosting an ad? Oh, well, I boost all of them. So when I went in and looked at his ad account, he had spent six hundred and fifty dollars in the month of October boosting every single post that he had made. And what had happened was they weren't that great of posts. So even with the boost, he wasn't getting comments. He didn't see any increase. I think out of that $650, he got seven new people that actually liked his page. He didn't get, while a ton of people saw it, they didn't react to it. There wasn't any kind of return, clear cut return that we could see on that investment. And then when I said, I said, you know, you spent $650 in, in October on these posts. Yeah, but I only spent like $5. I'm like, yeah, but you spent $5 45 different times. <laughs> You, you got to pay a whole lot more attention to some of that stuff, especially when it comes to Facebook, because you get sucked in and you don't think about it. Right now, social media usage is at an all-time high. 51% of U.S. adults are using social media at higher rates because of the pandemic. 22% of U.S. adults said they were more interested in shopping via social, social media than they were last year. But 
and this goes to what I was just saying, the average Facebook user has only shared one post in the last 30 days. Reach and reaction are so much more of a realistic engagement than just getting mass participation. If you provide value for the people who see your comment, rather than just getting them to reshare, you're going to see a better outcome than if all your goal is, is I got to get the shares. I got to get the shares. Because the chances are one in 30 people, one in one post in 30 days, it, it's just not going to happen. The easiest and fastest way to boost your organic traffic, again, relevant content. When people can't go shop inside of a store to test out products, when they can't come in and have a conversation with you, updating your website, making posts on your social media, answering questions and creating content, those are the longest, the, the best forms of conversation and communication that you can have. In this pandemic, people have learned to have come to really value empathy and honesty. So look at your social media channels. All of you have homework. All of you go back, take a look at your Facebook post, look at your Instagram, look at whatever social media network you are spending the most time and money on and go back through your feed for the last three months and take a look at your posts. What is your tone? Are you talking like your customer does? Do they know why they should build a relationship with you? Have you just been trying to sell people stuff? Have you been not so positive in some of the posts that you have made? And while we all get down, we all think, oh my God, this is just horrible. I'm so ready for this thing to be over. That is not what customers want to hear from a business. It's okay to hear, you know, it's a struggle right now, but it was a new day and we're, so you've got to balance being able to be honest without it sounding like you're looking for a pity party. So I mentioned e-commerce and I talked earlier about selling things on your website. Well, the one thing that Facebook has realized along with Instagram, because of course they're owned by Facebook, is that e-commerce is going to be the way in. That's how people are going to, it's obvious now that that's how people are shopping. And we've already seen the first stages of Facebook because now you can add a shop to your Facebook and you can add shops to your Instagram. So if you are not in a place, I mentioned earlier how much easier it is to be able to offer online shopping on your website, but say you're not there. Say you don't have a WordPress site, say you don't have a website at all yet. You can very easily start adding in shopping options to your Facebook or your Instagram. That's where people are going to look for products. So if you can open up a Facebook store, maybe you only put two or three things on it. It doesn't have to be your entire inventory at this point. Pick two or three things that you know you can manage and you can control and add those to a shop on Facebook or add them to a shop on Instagram or put three things on a Facebook shop, put three different things on an Instagram shop and then watch. See what happens. Are more people buying the Instagram things? Are more people buying the Facebook things? Because what that's going to tell you is where you should be putting more of your products on one or the other, or is it the product itself? So it's really going to help narrow down for you to a really great degree on where your customers are and what they're comfortable buying from. So if you can sell to them on Facebook or you can sell to them on Instagram, you're going to be, it's going to be a whole lot better and easier for you, especially if you're not able to sell to them from your website. 18% of social media users in the U.S. have bought a product after finding it on Facebook in the past year. I will tell you that in the last two or three months, I have probably bought at least a half a dozen things off of Facebook. How so many of you have seen the Danish whisk? 
<laughs> my friends now have them. Yeah. I mean, some of it has been from local places, but some of it has just been like, I've got, um, some of it's just weird stuff. Some of it I bought. And then I'm like, you know what? This was not at all what it looked like. I wish I hadn't spent $25 on that sweatshirt. Cause I know that's a cute saying, but that is not the material that I thought it was going to be when I clicked buy it now. Um, and I would tell you some of the things that I bought, but the person that I bought them for just walked back in the door with the dog. So I can't tell you until after Christmas, what, it, what I most recently bought on Facebook, but People love that because they don't have to leave Facebook. Facebook loves that because they don't have to leave Facebook. So you click on those, you do the shop now, it opens up in the same window on your phone, you go through and you buy and you're out. And it tells you, Facebook gives you the analytics on that, which then helps you again, go back to number one, know who your customer is. Because if you have somebody who has actually made a purchase, that is a customer. It's not a prospect, it's an actual customer. So if you can add anything to your shop on Facebook or Instagram, even in the next couple of weeks and offer curbside pickup, now is the time to test it out and see if it's going to work because people are primed to be shopping and spending money now more than they will be, say, January 14th. <laughs> Social media is a discovery engine. 43% of consumers research product, products online through their social media networks. I know I do it. Three out of 10 businesses either have already have a social commerce plan or are planning to implement one in the next 12 months. So you're not alone. Don't think that this is something that you're doing and oh, I don't know, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't want to be the only one out there. You could be the pioneer from a local perspective because yes, all these big companies are already doing it. You know, most of some of what I have bought has been um, something I got for Tim that he found on Twitter the other day was something for the pipes that are leaking and it's some glue something or another that he puts together. It wasn't until I got through the checkout process that I realized this company is in the United Kingdom. Good Lord, it's going to be March before I see whatever that product is and it actually gets here. But you could be doing it right now on Main Street. You could be doing it right now in our local communities and be the trailblazer and say, oh no, I'm selling stuff on Facebook. That's the key. Because if you get in before everybody else, you become the standard. And we all want to be the standard. So number four, how many of you, and we'll, I'll try and make my screen longer so I can see everybody. How many of you are using email? How many of you have an email campaign or have an email list and you regularly send things out to people on an email list? Oh, we had, we had Arlene right up until I said regularly. <laughs> so an email marketing campaign is a cost effective, I cannot tell you how cheap it is. Your return is 40 times more effective from an email campaign than it is on Facebook and Twitter combined. 91% of U.S. adults actually like to receive promotional emails from companies that they do business with. 73% of millennials prefer communications from businesses to come via email. And you can do email emails. I, I, I just can't say enough how easy it is to do. It strengthens relationships. It gives you an in 
a direct line of conversation and communication with your potential customers. It gives you the opportunity to tell them about something that has changed in your business, whether it's your hours or it's your location. It lets you tell them about new products because the 80-20 rule doesn't necessarily apply in an email as it does on your social media network. So you get a new shipment of something in, you can send that out. You can segment your lists so that if, uh, you know, Sue, say you have somebody that is only interested in primitive types of things, they can be on a primitive only list so that when you get product in that is more primitive than it is traditional or anything else, you can send an email out to just those people. So they're not getting 400 emails that have things in it that they're not interested in. So, for example, one of the things that we set up at the radio station when we put together that email list is you can go in and check when you sign up for the email. Do you want to know about events? Do you want about breaking news in your area? If you say if you check that one, you check sub check a sub box. Is your area Warren County, Frederick County, Clark County, Page County, any of that? But those people only get what they say they want to get from us. Which makes it a whole lot easier. But it is so much easier to be able to start a relationship with somebody when they look forward to getting your emails in their inbox. You can do special deals, you can do coupons, you can do discounts, and it gives you the opportunity, like I was saying earlier, from a content perspective, to teach them something, to tell them something, to say, hey, did you know that if you XYZ, then this won't happen? You have so many more opportunities in an email that you know is going to the person that gave you their email address than if you put it on social media and hope that somebody sees it on your Facebook page or that it gets shared or somebody knows about it. You can start it quickly. You can reach people on any device. You can increase your website traffic with it. You can market with a personal touch. You get immediate results. You can promote services and it just helps you build credibility. When people get emails from companies that are professionally done, and we're going to talk about that in a second, it just makes them think, oh, okay, I'm really glad that I'm, I'm doing business with this person because it's not just some ratchety thing that looks like they threw together and it's got typos and whatnot in it. It makes you seem, it gives you much more credibility when somebody gets a professionally designed email. And before you say, well, I can't do a professionally designed email, you don't have to. So there are companies out there, first and foremost, do not do an email campaign using Outlook, using Gmail. You have got, if you're going to do an email campaign, you have got to do it using an email service. Because the quickest way to get your email, your domain name blacklisted and to end up in all kinds of, on all kinds, all kinds of blacklists is to go to your Outlook or whatever email program you use, open it up and paste in 400 emails and send this email that is just text because that's pretty much the best you can do in a lot of these email programs. You are going to get, it will be a nightmare. MailChimp, Constant Contact, AWeber. I use two of the three of those for different clients. I haven't used AWeber in, in quite a few years. I have some clients that are on MailChimp. Up to 2,000 email addresses doesn't cost you a dime to use every month. So it, you go in, you sign up for their free account. You put up to 2,000 email addresses in there. And they have templates that literally are drag and drop. You go in and you think, okay, do I want one that just goes all the way down the screen? Do I want one that has two pictures and then has a third? They have a ton of different templates. You pick the template that you want. You click start. 
you drag your pictures from your desktop that you want to put in the email, you type your text in the text box, you put your social media links, you put all of that stuff in, you have your email addresses in there, you hit send, they send it for you through their servers. You get a report that tells you, hey, you had 400 emails that you sent this to and 17 of them bounced. Some of them bounced because you had typos. Some of them bounced because they just weren't the right email addresses. And for, out of your 400, 273 people opened it. You had links back to your website of those 270 people that opened it. 45 of them clicked on this link. 50 of them clicked on that link. I mean, it gives you so much information that you can then use, again, going back to knowing who your customer is. Because I can go in... For the emails that, that I send for clients, I can go back in and say, hey, look, of this email, this particular email that we sent and we linked to this particular product, almost 90% of the people that clicked on a link clicked on this product. So we need to spend a little bit more time promoting this product on our social media, make sure that it has a better placement on the store in our website. You really can use the information that you get from those email campaigns to market and to be smarter about what you're doing in your other avenues of places that you put your information out there. Um, constant contact. I don't, all of my clients pay for constant contact. So I'm not sure. I don't remember if they still have an actual free version or not. Um, but it does exactly the same thing as MailChimp. Some people say constant contact is easier to use than MailChimp. I like MailChimp because I always joke that it's MailChimp for dummies because I, it, I, I figured it out. In no time. Constant contact took me a little bit more time to kind of make sure that it worked and that it didn't look funny and all that sort of thing. But Nikki, I believe you, which one do you use when you send out e-connections? I use MailChimp. Um, I find MailChimp to be more user-friendly. Um, I like the, I like the reporting aspect of it better. Um, but I still also use Constant Contact, but only because Constant Contact has the survey feature. So the survey feature is really important um, and it's very easy to use in constant contact, but um, uh, MailChimp for me, and I would imagine for a lot of folks, uh, you know, if you're sending a weekly email out to your customers or your clients, um, it, it's just a lot easier to use. Yeah. And, and, and again, I, I can't stress enough. It is so simple to literally drag and drop. You can put the pictures where you want to put them. And then when it's finished and it goes out, you can send yourself a test to make sure that it looks yeah. the way that it's supposed to look before you send it out to everybody on your email address or on your email list. And it looks professional. It looks like you had this done professionally by somebody else. And then the other question that I get from people is, yeah, but where do I get the emails? That's important because there are some things you should and shouldn't do from an email perspective. So for the most part, have them sign up in your shop. I mean, I have a, a client over um, that's a, a fruit stand over on Middle Road and Eddie doesn't own a computer. I've been doing all of the stuff for Eddie for I don't even know how long now. Eddie doesn't own a computer. He doesn't have a Facebook page. He has, has no idea how any, I just got him to get a smartphone three years ago. He was using a flip phone four years ago and I made him upgrade to a smartphone. We have an email campaign that we send out. He has a website that we sell products from. He has a Facebook page. He has an Instagram page. He has a Twitter account. He has no idea how any of this works. But we have literally pen and paper at the market. When people come in, they put their first name, their last name, their email address, and their zip code 
on this form. When the form is full and has all of the email addresses filled out, Kayla takes a picture of it. She texts me the picture. I put them into to MailChimp and use it that way. On his MailChimp has, an, and I believe Constant Contact does as well. I know Constant Contact does as well. There are plugins that you can put on your website and that you can put on your social media. So you can tell people, hey, don't miss uh, you know, our next email. They can input their email address themselves from your Facebook, from any of those things. I'm trying to think if I have any clients right now that have that feature up. But you know the little button on your Facebook cover photo that can say shop now or call now or any of those things? You can set up, I know for a fact through MailChimp, you can set that up to say sign up. And when they click on it, it opens up into a landing page for MailChimp where they put their email address, whatever form, whatever information you want from them, you can make required or not required. I always say first name has to be required. MailChimp makes email address required, duh. Um, And then I always try to do zip code because to me, zip codes, people will give you a zip code before they'll give you their mailing address. It's just that, that, that simple. But don't snag emails don't put people on an email on an email list um i'll give you an example so you go to an event not that we're all doing many many of those this year but back in the day i used to go to chamber functions and i'll say not front world chamber but i would go to other chamber functions where you hand out your business card you meet a bunch of people you give them your business card and then three days later all of a sudden i'm getting these emails from this dude that got my business card at this particular business after hours and i don't know him i'm not interested in his product that left a sour taste in my mouth so please try and make sure that you have permission to use the emails. One of the things that you'll find too, and and Nikki can speak to this a little bit as well, is the chamber is not going to give you their email, their email list there. It is illegal for the chamber to give you their email address. Now the chamber can say, Hey, we will send something to our list on your behalf, but you can't call the chamber up and say, Hey, I'm a member of the chamber. Um, How much would it cost for you to send me your email list? Because those people on that chamber email list did not give permission to be on Sue's list or Arlene's list or Wendy's list or Kimmy's list or anybody else. So you really have to be very careful about how you're gathering your email addresses and making sure that you're using them the way that you told the person that you got them that you would. Yeah, that's that's a really sticky wicket. You you have to be really careful about that. Because I'm sure you get a ton of people. They're like, hey, can I, uh, can, how much is it? Because we can buy mailing labels from the chamber. What do you mean I can't buy the email list? Well, oh yeah, I I probably, I probably get five, um, five requests for that monthly at least. Yeah. And a lot of times it's non-members who want to purchase your list. (laughs) Of course it is. Because they're trying to take the greatest shortcut of all time. Sure. (laughs) So, and the reason that I do email and then move into the fifth thing that we're going to talk about today is because email is a big piece of this to a certain degree as well. So the fifth thing that you really need to be thinking about in 2021, and hopefully some of you are doing it already. I know that Sue and Arlene are doing it already to a certain degree, but you've got to form new partnerships. You've got to start, stop and think about who would make a good marketing partner. So what you want to do is you want to think about other businesses that have either a service or a product that goes well with your service or product, or that they have a customer that also would be a customer of yours. 
So for example, me from a social media perspective, and, and Kimmy touched on this earlier with, with her company as well. I am business to business. I am not planning weddings. I am not helping grandma figure out how Facebook works. I am not putting, you know, Aunt Sally on Twitter or any of that sort of thing. All of my clients are businesses and they are all businesses that need help in promoting themselves and in marketing their companies. So a great marketing partner for me would be somebody like a printing company like Winchester printers, for example, because they have customers who are businesses that are buying business cards, that are buying brochures, that are doing flyers, that are doing things that they need the same help. They need to know what do they put on those printed things. So you don't lose your individuality by partnering up with somebody else to market yourself. But if you can find somebody that you can join forces with and be able to share, like we were talking about emails a second ago. So let's say you've got somebody and you can, the easiest first way to do it is just, and a lot of you again already do this, is get brochures from the other businesses in and around your area. Put them in your store because that's that, that makes sense. If you um, have statements or you send out invoices every month, it would be great to be able to partner with another business and say, hey, do you have a flyer or do you have a business card or do you have a coupon? Something that you would like want me to put in. I'll put one of yours in my statements if you put one of mine in your statements. Those are great ways to be able to expand your target market without really spending. <laughs> I'm loving the commentary going on on Arlene's side of the screen here. But it's a great way to be able to share in things. And again, from an email perspective. So let's say Arlene has a list and Sue has a list and they share a common customer prospect list. Well, again, Arlene can't give Sue her emails because that wouldn't be right. However, Arlene can say, well, hey, I'm going to do an email. And Sue, do you want to put something in it? Do you want to write an article? Do you want to do a coupon? Do you want to do a discount? Do you want to do something? I'll include something about you to my in my email to my list if you do something about me or include something from me in your email list. It's a great way to be able to get that double coverage without breaking the rules of actually giving out the email addresses. So the first thing that you want to do is create your own email list and then find other people who already have and then say, hey, you want to, how about we do something, you know, you scratch your, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. That is a great way that doesn't cost you a dime. It is free all the way around, just like being able to share things and put things in brochure racks or business cards or offering discounts to, to other people. Um, it, is, it is the perfect, easy way to be able to get your, your name out to people because if I'm, going, if I'm going to Arlene's business and I've never heard of Sue, and, and granted, you've all said this before on our coffee break things is the number of people that will come into your shop at any given time and say, I didn't even know you were here. And you're like, oh, my God, I've been here 25 years. It, it happens. It, it happens every day. So let's say I'm a customer of Arlene's and I am in Arlene's store on a fairly regular basis. And then I go in there one day and I buy something and Arlene is packaging it all up and she's putting it in the bag. And she's like, oh, here, um, we're doing this special thing this month with our friend Sue, who has white picket fence over on Main Street. If you take this flyer over there, you get a free XYZ or 20% off or blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, Sue, I never even knew that place was on Main Street. I am now going to Sue's 
And I never would have heard of Sue otherwise if Arlene hadn't told me to do it. But I trust Arlene because I've been going to Arlene's for years and I'm a regular customer there. So you really do get to play off of somebody else building their customer base and you can kind of sneak in the back door of sorts. And it works all the way around as long as you share a common customer base. Don't go to somebody and say, hey, I want to partner with you. And there's no way their customers would be your customers because it's not going to work and it's going to, it's going to look bad for both of you. So make a list, another homework assignment, make a list of products and services that are complementary to your products and services. Now, if you're in retail, that's kind of easy because almost across the board, it's just people more or less. I mean, if you're in retail and you're focused on younger millennial traffic, you're not going to want to partner with somebody who does geriatric stuff. I mean, think about it within reason, but make a list of products and services that are complementary to your products and services. Make a list of 10 to 20 businesses that either provide those or through your own personal experiences or input through your customers that you would want to work with. So when we were talking about the, having the conversation and doing the unofficial customer surveys earlier, think about asking your customers, so, um, you know, where do you get your XYZ? Do you, you know, where do you do your grocery shopping or do you buy candles or, hey, if you had to find the perfect gift for your mom on Mother's Day, where would you go? Things along those lines, because then your customer is going to tell you, oh, my God, I love whatever. I love Scott Turnmeyer's place. Then you're going to know, okay, so my customers are also going to Scott Turnmeyer. Maybe I should reach out to Scott and say, hey, Scott, do you want to do some sort of marketing partnership where we trade off or do whatever? So think in, in terms of those. And again, anytime you can have a conversation with your customer, you are already ahead of the game because you're learning information from them. And if they're willing to share it with you, then you've already come out leaps and bounds ahead. Now is the time to strengthen and expand your partnerships. Same holds true for, for nonprofits. This doesn't always have to be a business to business partnership. If you feel strongly about a particular nonprofit, and I don't know if Patty is still on or if we've lost her completely, say Blue Ridge Hospice. And, and I know Blue Ridge Hospice is very near and dear to Nikki's heart. If you have a business and Blue Ridge Hospice helped you or your family in some way, they can become your marketing partner. You can put things about hospice in on your Facebook page. You can put them in your mailers. You can do something about donating to them or promoting their thrift stores in your email newsletters because there are a lot of people out there who have high regard for Blue Ridge Hospice and they're going to have higher regard for you because you also have high regard for Blue Ridge Hospice. So you can kind of win pets or another thing. I'm looking at, at Arlene's cat. People love people who love animals. So if you can partner with your local humane society, or if you have an animal that you can put pictures of you and the animal on your social media, I will admit I have not at all taken full advantage of these adorable damn puppies that I should be doing from a marketing perspective, but use them as tacky as it sounds, use them and then try and find other local nonprofits that you can use to partner with. And, and they will appreciate it. They, there's, you know, there's always, some of them get a little, it depends on who it is and what you want them to do, but a lot of them will return the favor. They will put something in. If you say, hey, look, I'm going to do a collection for you. They will then say, hey, we'll put it out to all of our people that you're doing this food drive or you're doing this coat drive. And we'll tell our customers to come to your store and drop off coats, drop off books, drop off whatever. 
there's customers that you may not have had otherwise that are coming there because they believe in that particular nonprofit and that particular nonprofit told them that you are a supporter of theirs. Therefore, they also want to be a supporter. So those are some of the things that, that you can do. So that's your top five. I threw in a bonus. So know your customer, get a website, update your website, be social media smart, use email to market, form new partnerships, and the bonus one is ask for help. I think we all fall down when it comes to this because we're either too busy to ask for help or we don't think we need the help because we think we know what we're doing and sometimes we don't necessarily know what we're doing or we're too embarrassed or we don't feel like we can afford the help that we might need to ask for. If you were on a raft floating aimlessly at sea and the Coast Guard showed up to rescue you, would you say, that's oh, okay, I got this. We're all in the same boat right now. We all have different experiences. We all have different perspectives. We all have different ways of thinking. Take advantage of those resources. For the most part, there isn't a business owner out there that if you called them up and said, hey, I saw how you're doing this. How are you making that work? They're going to say, I'm not telling you that. And if they do, that's not somebody you want to be a marketing partner with. <laughs> for the record, <laughs> that's another little red flag to keep for yourself. But ask your staff. Sometimes we are surrounded by the smartest, most creative people, and we don't even realize it because we never think to ask. Reach out to the local chambers of commerce. Call a friend and say, hey, you know, I'm really struggling right now. I don't, I don't know what to do or how to market to this. What do you think? Sometimes people not at all associated with your business or what you do can have a really great perspective because they're, they've never run a business and they don't know what your business is. Contact an expert. Sometimes they'll just give you the advice that you need. Sometimes they'll say, you know what, I'll, I'll help you for 50 bucks. I will bet you nine times out of 10, however expensive you think something is, it is not nearly that expensive. So don't not call somebody and ask for advice because you think, oh, I can't afford them. Because I'll bet you, you probably can't. And if you call them in the middle of a pandemic and they and you say, look, I, I don't have very much money. What I've been doing, and I'll tell you this right up front, what I've been doing when people call me and they're like, I don't have a lot of money, but I really need some help. First question to me is how much can you afford? And then I make it work. So I have some clients that are paying substantially less than other clients, but they're paying what they can afford. All of it is less than what I would normally charge. For me, it's about helping. For me, I like being able to say, oh my God, look what we did and look how successful it was. And it gives me, how many times have you heard me tell a story? Oh, I did this for a client. I did that for a client. I did this for a client in these seminars. It gives me credibility and it gives me information to be able to show you examples of what you can do. So at, contact an expert, survey your customers, join Facebook groups, join LinkedIn groups, talk to other business owners. You know, we do the Friday morning coffee break and host one of those with people that you admire or people that you know and say, hey, here's my question of the day. I just did this seminar and they're saying I have to survey my customers or they're saying I need to find marketing partnerships or I need to, to get a website or start a website. What do you guys think should be on my website? Who do you guys know that designs websites? You would be amazed at the number of people that you know that know people that know how to do what you need. That's all I'm saying. And I did it with 20 minutes to spare. 